Welcome to Our Story, a podcast where ordinary people share extraordinary stories. My name is Atherva, and today I'm joined by Bree Lenoy. What's up, Bree? Hey, Atherva. How are you? Doing well, doing well. How about yourself? Good. Uh, you know, the coronavirus situation has made me stir crazy, but other than that, um, you know, counting my blessings, everything's you good. You and me both. I got these uh, whiteboards that um, are static, like they stick with static electricity, and I have them uh, strategically placed all throughout my house, and they have different activities and quotes and um, different things so I can move and work at the same time. <laughs> I'm curious, what activities are you talking about here? Oh, well, I have like a pull-up challenge on one of them and I have my pull-up bar next to it. I have some um, ones next to like my uh, boxing bag and I have some boxing <laughs> activities on it. One has like the layout for a school and I'm designing like classrooms. So um, trying to keep it, <laughs> trying to keep active during this time. That sounds awesome. I think the way you have it laid out kind of um, gives a good introduction on uh, what we're going to hear in the next uh, few minutes. So for uh, taking a step back and giving us uh, kind of like a top level bird's eye view of the life of Brie, uh, how would you describe that? The life of Brie. Um, oh, I forgot the, the most recent one has uh, pinochle rules. I, I, I'm really interested in that game if you want to play later. But um, the life of Brie, I think that it would be just um, – bullet points of the most random activities uh, that one could pursue. Uh, I'm just interested in everything, I think, is the, the um, challenge I come across. If someone's passionate about something, I'll sit and talk to them for hours. I want to know um, what, like, why someone's passionate about something and like learn about that, um, that passion that they have. But, you know, I... I think that some attributes or some things I'm involved in is like I make cannoli with my uncle's cannoli business. I've done that for since, you know, it's a family thing. Um, I'm really involved in education. I'm uh, going to be a founding principal this year. I'm a power lifter. I started boxing, which I really love. Um, I was used to be a big theater nerd and loved that and did some stage combat and worked as characters and disney so i don't know <laughs> i i think it would be literally like a just scattered points all over um of things i'm involved in that sounds incredible so let's break it down because that was a lot to take in <laughs> uh let's start with uh you know square one like describe uh brie as a little kid and like how did that shape you into you know you pursuing all these really cool things yeah, well, Brie is a little kid. I was probably the same height <laughs> as I am now, which is like four foot ten and, and three quarters on a good day. But um, I was super, I had so much energy. Like any report card I got was like, you know, excelling academically, but talks too much or excelling academically, but um, can't stay in her seat. So I think that those things are still very true uh, now. Um, but as a child, I, I grew up with um, two other sisters uh, and lived with my mom and we lived a very active lifestyle. We didn't really have a lot um, of resources. So we, we just played, we played like different, uh, games we played outside mostly, but we lived on an old, um, an old farm and our, so like our garage, um, 
was an old barn. There's a lot of animals and critters that lived in there. We had like this giant wood pile where there's just all these woodchucks and like snake nests and there were deer and um, there were like feral cats, which I don't think I was supposed to pet, but I did. And like there were um, ferrets we, in, in um, just all different animals around us. And we just, I, I grew up playing and being imaginative and um that and reading that's really what that's really how i grew up <laughs> okay wow that sounds awesome so how when did the transition from like farm life to city life happen <laughs> yeah so um in middle school so my mom remarried and um for the second time and we moved uh to williamsville and grew up a completely different suburban um suburban life and uh it was great I made a lot of wonderful friends that's when I really started um getting involved in in school but definitely was a transition going there from middle school and uh in high school with my sisters okay very cool so you would say like a traditional middle school high school setting for you then yeah a traditional setting um not to, you know nothing really different i got to walk to school which was nice and walk home from school so um and got to really i don't know be a kid in in the neighborhood and just like after we would walk home with everyone from our neighborhood we play street hockey or basketball or football or um when people started i'd never got to sh- shoot a paint gun paintball gun but somehow i was like there's this game called like capture the princess and I had to run from one side of the yard to the other side of the yard, but I would get hit with either like airsoft gun bullets or paintball gun bullets. So that was a game I did not like, but other than that, it was, it was a great childhood. That does sound pretty unique. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very cool. So uh, pretty, um, you know, standard middle school, high school years. Uh, and then what did you pursue in college after graduation? Yeah. So, um, I decided to pursue uh, a BFA in theater performance. Again, like I was just, I I loved theater. I I grew up doing a lot of theater and creating theater. And what I liked about it was less of the performing aspect, but the ability to just like captivate an audience and and change their thinking and and get them to um, view something uh, and start to uh, think about a different situation or scenario. in a different light. And I loved that ability of, of theater and the power behind theater. So I pursued that. And then I also, um, got a, I double majored in English literature and, uh, graduated with those, those two degrees from Niagara university. Okay. Very cool. So English major and then a theater major, um, you know, what, what career did, did that bring you (laughs) right after graduation? I'm not also a very practical person. So when you graduate and you have those two degrees, there's really not many people um, knocking at your door trying to get you to um, fill spots for certain roles. Um, So I decided to kind of go on an adventure. And I started by going to Toronto and studying um, stage combat with Fight Directors Canada. And I studied different types of fighting. So like rapier dagger, um, quarter staff, found objects, and just like hand-to-hand combat. 
And I loved that. And then went into um, an apprenticeship with Powerhouse Theater Company, which is, um, it's between Vassar College and New York Stage and Film. They come together and create a collaboration um, to create a space for um, fully produced plays and musical workshops. uh, basically a place where people can work on some shows that they want to get on Broadway, but it's a lot cheaper to do it here. And there's a lot of people to work with. So I was an apprentice through the powerhouse theater training program. And uh, one of the uh, coolest aspects of that is it was when Hamilton was starting to workshop. So Lin-Manuel Miranda was there, got to work on that. And he had just the first act and two songs, the second act. But when when for the first night when we had people actually view it and then you give feedback and and they're continuously working on it each night. Um, I'm not even kidding. The audience stood up the entire time. Now the show is only like um, at that point is only like 70 minutes maybe, but it was just, people were uh, like, uh, Oh my gosh. Just, just experiencing that full, full heartedly just watching that. And, um, it was, it was incredible. He's just a lyrical genius and everyone is so talented that, that contributes with him. Okay. Time out. I'm fangirling a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So you're telling me that you saw the very first performance of Hamilton on a stage when it was not even a complete Broadway show at this point. And not only that, you were part of making it into what it became, on Broadway. Okay, so part of that's true. I would say I did not help um, make it into anything. I basically was the apprentice that like ran around and got to like support with ticket sales and things like that. So nothing in the creative aspect, although I wish I could have been a part of that. Um, But no, I I, uh, did get to see it before it was its it's, uh, full performance. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So like then <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to understand like your role in this, like what, what does an apprentice do? Yeah. So the apprentice you have, um, basically a lot of people that are in the shows then would teach theater classes during the day. So it was for college students or right out of college students in, and, uh, we would get access to, um, incredible actors and directors and take acting classes, dance classes, work on our own productions. And then at night we would be assigned to specific shows that were workshopping and we might take notes for the director. We might, um, uh, change the set. We might do different things like that. We're more like on stage hands. Okay. So you did have a part of making <laughs> Hamilton into what it was. <laughs> Maybe not a big part, but still a part. <laughs> I'll take That's it. really cool. <laughs> uh, okay. And then how long were you with that company and what was next for you? Yeah. So that was a six week program. And then I drove from Vassar um, down to Florida and I uh, pursued a job there as a, a character performer in Disney World. Okay, this gets even better. Okay, <laughs> okay what uh, what character were you? Were you going for like a princess or oh. uh, like one of those costume characters? As I mentioned earlier, I've been the same height since I was probably 10. So there's not many uh, princesses that are that height. Disney has obviously a very specific mold uh, for each character. They want it to be as closely like replicated 
uh, as the film as possible. Plus, you're, once a character comes out and then they go for their break, the next character that comes out must be identical because it's supposed to keep up the, um, the illusion of the magic. Um, so unfortunately, I'm not the appropriate height for any of the princesses. However, I was the appropriate height for all of like the, um, so those are called like the face characters. And then, so I was a masked character. So um, all of the ones that are like under, I think five one, which is Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Daisy, Pinocchio, Nico, Jiminy Cricket, Dopey, Lilo, Stitch, and Marie Cat. And those are like the ones that I would uh, play. (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, wait, you're not supposed to say play. I'm sorry. You're supposed to say friends with. So I was friends with them. So, like, it's magical. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I mean, I'm a big Disney fan. And, uh, you know, I, I turned into a little kid meeting those characters. So uh, <laughs> I can only imagine being on the other side. Like, did you see this, like, pure joy or, like, pure terror yeah. in some of these kids? <laughs> Basically, those uh, – antithetical emotions is, is all I saw. So, so a young child would either run up um, screaming excitedly and try to hug me or literally s- scream in, in horror and run away or, or sometimes it provoked children as well to punch me. So uh, fortunately, um, there were less of, of the, the more violent <laughs> um, acts and more of the uh, loving acts. But yeah, you never really knew. And, and parents are stressed at, in Disney. I mean, that it's not accessible for families. And when you finally afford that trip, you want your child to like make the most of everything. And so when your child is disgruntled and doesn't want to meet the character, I've seen parents, like I've had parents pick up their children and force them to be near me while they were petrified. I just was like, this is really upsetting because I'm not offended, but they just wanted their picture with Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Have there ever been any interesting stories where um, a character maybe almost slipped or tripped and uh, <laughs> there was people underneath those layers? Yeah, well, so fortunately, I don't know how, and I never spoke or did anything in it, well in costume. And honestly, I, I call this period my silent period of my life, which is a very rare time to, <laughs> time to know me. But it was when I spoke the least because I was in costume so often, um, trying to preserve that, that magical element for kids. Uh, but I did have a friend who um, was Mike Wazowski. And Mike Wazowski is like a... Ma- a fur costume. He is just this green plastic bubble and his arms are plastic too. So you don't even put your arms through his arms. So you, you honestly, you can only move your feet like, and really from your ankles down, like he also takes up a lot of your legs. So, um, usually people text inside Mike Wazowski. So you're, you're bringing your kid up to get his picture with Sully and, you know, Mike was asking, and there's probably, honestly, a teenage girl in there just texting. But anyway, uh, <laughs> my one friend from the program passed out in Mike Wazowski, and I'm sure traumatized many children because she just started rolling in, in the costume, in the plastic bubble. So that's the most horrific thing I heard. <laughs> oh, man, I am laughing, but I know I shouldn't be, <laughs> but that's really funny. Yeah, no, it was, it's, you can laugh at it. She was fine. She, she made it out. 
That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, if I ever go back and I see Mike Wazowski, I'm going to like surprise him and say, don't be texting me. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure you would get a reaction if you did that. <laughs> uh, okay, cool, cool. All right. So uh, after Disney, well, let me ask you this, like how long did you stay at Disney and were there any other roles you had? Yeah, that's a great question. So I ended up staying there about eight months um, through the uh halloween season thanksgiving and then through winter and uh didn't you know the other side of this now there's like the fun the um magical side of disney where it's just like joyous but also there's um disney does mean a lot to families and i got to work make a wish foundation families that where we'd have extra long visits with um children who were terminally ill and um, get to bring the magic uh, to life with them. They're, my favorite story. Um, oh, I'm going to cry. So I did cry a lot in my costume because I was just like, um, because it means so much to, to people to, to finally see Mickey or, or Minnie. Um, and there was this uh, family, it was Make-A-Wish Foundation family. And I was a handler at this time. So basically if you don't go out in costume, um, but you still get paid for the shift, you are a handler and you go out into the park and maybe help with the character. So I was out at the exit, just like waving goodbye to people with that big Mickey mouse hand and this family, this, the little boy was crying and the mom was like, it's okay. You know? And, um, I just asked what was going on and they said, um, he lost his autograph book, which is like, detrimental that's the whole disney experience is you have these autographs and pictures so i was like you know what i think that the disney characters are having a party in the back let me see so i they waited and i ran back there and there's you know five people in the changing room and i'm like all right um oh first sorry stole a autograph book from guest services which there's like a little leeway in Disney where you can say you're like creating a magical moment. Um, so you can like take things, I, I, not all things, but so I took this um, autograph book, brought it to the back and everyone who's back there, as I mentioned earlier, I'm when you're a certain height, you just play um, an array of characters. So everyone basically went through and signed every single character name that they knew. So each person had, you know, 10 or 12 in their arsenal and we, filled up the book and brought it back out to him. And I just, that, um, that moment was, is definitely burned in my memory. And, and um, just the little, the little things that you can do, f- do for others and like what, what it means um, to just take that time. So anyway, it was a great experience. And that was probably my favorite experience of Disney. That's awesome. You can't see me, but like, I'm smiling year <laughs> to year right now. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay, so after uh, that magical time at Disney, what was next for you? Yeah, so after that, I packed up my stuff and um, drove back home and realized that throughout that time, and there are some other experiences in college that I wanted to work in education and um, that, it, and specifically just with, with kids that was the greatest joy of Disney even if they punched me I was still it was just like an incredible experience to work with um children so I went back and I applied um again I didn't have a degree in education so I applied for um an assistant teaching role at um a school for children with autism and that's where I met um a boy who I will never forget in my life who's like 
amazing at Taekwondo now. This is like five years later, but his name was Max. And um, I worked with him one-on-one and three of the people that had been working with him before me um, at the school had left because he was so challenging. But my first day I was like, wow, this boy, not, he was the cutest child I had ever seen. Um, he was just a joy. He was laughing, giggling. We had a great day. It was like two o'clock. Um, I had to walk him to um, occupational therapy. So we walked to occupational therapy. Um, we go to the session. He does great. We're walking back and they told me, they're like, don't, whatever you do, like we're teaching independence. Don't hold, you know, you don't hold students' hands. He's five. And he reached for my I was like, oh my God, this is cute. We had like 10 steps left to the classroom. So I was like, all right. So I hold his hand. I'm smiling. I'm like, oh, it's the first day. This boy loves me. This is great. And he gets this big grin on his face and just latched onto my arm with his teeth. (laughs) And I'll never forget that. And so from that day forward, um, one, it was an unbreakable bond. I absolutely loved him. And it was challenging work, but it was the best work. And it was um, because of that relationship and because of how much he grew that I decided to um, pursue a teaching role through Teach for America. And um, that was the next part of my educational journey. Okay. And what is uh, Teach for America for the folks that are not? Yeah. Uh, so Teach for America or TFA uh, is a national nonprofit that focuses on their mission statement is one day all children will have access to an excellent education. Uh, they really focus on the disparities, specifically in low-income areas um, in education. And it's a teacher training program as well as a leadership training program to um, to get people to start to think about equity and, and change policy and change educational practices that, so that um, there are higher expectations of all students. So Buffalo just recently got one. So 2014 was that year when we first got one. Okay, so you did Teach for America in your hometown of right, Buffalo. Right, which was the best experience. Okay, and at that point, were you like getting your teacher's license or how does that work? Or do you get that through yeah, the program? Yeah, so it depends. It's, you know, state by state, but New York, uh, you need to have your master's in education. Uh, so it's through like a trans B certification. So I was enrolled at Canisius for my master's in urban education, uh, working specifically uh, with students with disabilities. And I was in that for the two years of the, my um, contract with the program. And then I was simultaneously getting my uh, master's through Canisius. So um, you get the AmeriCorps grant and which makes, um, which really helps you afford uh, the college and simultaneously you're teaching. So I was able to be a fifth grade teacher. Uh, my classroom um, it was called Miss Illinois Leaders. And that was one of my favorite places to be. Very cool. So you're at degree number three right now and (laughs) uh, job number who knows what, but like making an impact every single uh, place you've been at. So that's awesome. Uh, How long did you teach uh, fifth grade and uh, how did that evolve into, uh, like you mentioned earlier, uh, the principal job that you're starting this year? Yeah, great. So I was there um, for three years in that fifth grade setting. And I absolutely loved it. Students were just, uh, it was incredible. Um, the expectations in, in the classroom were really high and students met them and exceeded them. And it was a place of, um, just 
striving for academic excellence, um, creating like creating conversations around equity with students, um, creating conversations around empathy with students and, and really tying in some of those social emotional skills um, that we don't tend to, to talk about. And it was just a, a place of growth and uh, where reading was cool and having uh, academic discourse was cool and being kind was cool. And it was just great to build a culture with, with students who um, really just brought out the best um, and everyone they interacted with. Um, so that was a, a great experience. But what I noticed and, and the reason that I was interested in Teach for America as well is I got to work with a program when I was at Niagara University um, called NU Opportunity, which gave uh, 15 high school seniors from Buffalo Public um, full rides uh, to Niagara, but they had to take remedial courses. Um, they had to take remedial courses even though that they had uh, achieved over you know 95 averages and had been successful academically in school, um, but when they took their SAT uh, test, they scored really low. And, the, and so there's a disparity within that education system. So we did a program at Niagara where we taught writing and they had to take a couple other courses. And if they passed that, then they um, entered uh, for that following year. So all 15 students um, passed and continued on for that year. But it was really when interacting with um, those students that uh, I was really aware of just how drastically different um, an inequitable education could be. Some students told me that they had never um, written a thesis statement or knew how to break up their essays into paragraphs, but they had gotten, you know, a 98 in their ELA course. So it, it was... To, yeah, Wait, I'm just going to... Just so I just so I'm following because I think there's a lot to um, you know really understand here. You said you started at fifth grade uh, teaching, but like the inspiration uh, you know stemmed not only from your time at Disney, but also this program you did at Niagara University, where uh, people from uh, like low income areas in the area uh, in the Buffalo area applied, and uh, you know they did well in school. It's just they did not do well on the, on the standardized test, which is the SAT. So there was this program that um, Niagara University extended to them. And you said that's where you first saw the, uh, like the disparity between the education system in different parts of um, the city or the county. Like how, how do you know like uh, where the education was lacking? Like how do you know it was systematic and not so much on the individual or like a case by case basis. Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. I guess I could never quantify. I mean, I mean, completely. Just from my observations, it seemed that um, a lot of it um, was just due to low expectations of the school um, and not um, students not being provided with grade level appropriate work so that they would be prepared for college. And students were. I was watching and interacting with students as they're going through this realization. Um, of this myth of just opportunity at this at this uh, stage in their lives, and fortunately, you know, they had been given this opportunity. But um, at the end of the year, um, nine of the uh, students who were incredibly driven, incredibly intelligent, uh, ended up, you know, dropping out of the program, even with a full ride, because the assignment other. 
you know, someone that was at grade level reading at, you know, a college level uh, reading level would take them three or four times as long um, because a lot of them are coming in at fifth or sixth grade reading levels. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. The thing that I found really interesting, you said these kids, uh, these students were like the top of their class, like you said, 95th percentile of the right. school they graduated from, but they couldn't keep up with the college work because they just weren't prepared right, for right. it. Okay. And then I know that inspired you to pursue what right. you're doing now. Uh, walk us yeah, through so, that journey. So, so then, sorry, a flashback, finishing out my fifth, um, fifth grade year, um, looking at my desks. There's 30 desks in my classroom. And I remember there's this article in the Buffalo News. Um, it was about graduation rates. And it was about um, college proficiency rates. And then it was about college graduation rates. And it was the same as five years prior. Um, our high school graduation rate has increased uh, a little bit. But when I applied those statistics to the class, my class of 30 students were bright, brilliant, beautiful individuals, all with so much to offer, limitless capacity. Um, and I applied those statistics. I was looking at my class of 30 with the understanding that they were part of the statistic that only 16 would graduate from high school. And of that 16 that graduated from high school, only eight would apply to college. And then out of those eight, four would be accepted. And then out of those four, two were likely to successfully graduate. So basically I was, I was, I couldn't imagine taking wow. that and looking at my class. And, and if you told me to pick two students to, that could um, persevere through college and, and um, graduate, I would, it would be impossible because at that age, it, it, they, they all could. Right. Um, so it was really at that moment that I wanted to be part of a, a bigger change. And I, I knew that um, I couldn't create systems level, you know, leadership changes at, um, as a teacher, even being on, you know, leadership teams and things of that nature. I, so I found this program called Building Excellent Schools and joined it on a whim. And well, I didn't know they would accept me. So then <laughs> I applied um, and then got to I got in and I got to travel and study high performing urban charter schools that were doing doing the work that needed to be done for students. Um, and it was really eye opening. And through that program, I um, applied for um, a charter through New York State for a school called Nickel City Prep. Uh, there'd be an elementary school. And unfortunately, we did not make it through. Um, we made it all the way up to the last stage, but didn't get approved uh, at the state level. So I was planning on uh, reapplying. Just the political climate didn't seem favorable. And I was... Um, offered an opportunity that I am so humbled and, and grateful for to be the founding principal of the new, a new um, campus of an elementary school here in Buffalo. That's super high performing. So uh, excited to start that journey. Just not the same school, but, you know, vi same vision. Yeah. So just a different name, but achieving the same goal that you set out to that's, achieve. That's the hope. That's the hope. That's awesome. And that's incredible. Like hearing all that, I just know that the students that uh, will benefit from teachers like you and the system you're going to put in place are without a doubt, very grateful, even though they don't even know it yet. So 
uh, like thank you from them, uh, even though like they haven't even uh, reaped the benefits and don't really know what what blessing they're go- they're going to go through. So really, really awesome. Thanks, And I just have to ask, where did this passion come from? Like uh, you described like, your experiences, but a lot of times people see things, experience it, but not a lot of people have um, the drive to go way out of their way, like go from, uh, you know, a theater person all the way to a founding principal of a high performance school. That takes drive and passion. Where did that come from? <laughs> I think that that's a great question. That's something I, I honestly need to reflect on. I, I just am and believe in being um, a person of action. And once I met the students that it affected, there's no way I could forget that. And I, I don't understand how people could overlook that. Um, once you meet um, and teach and love and learn from and grow with um, students and you see how the disparities in education affect them, there's there's no other option but to continue to fight uh, for them. Um, there's not enough people doing it. It's it in and I um, it, it's because of the students. It's just because of the students I've encountered. And, and um, I know I wouldn't be the person that I am right now. Um, you always hear teachers say, oh, I, you know, teach the students teach you so much, but I, I mean that I, um, I learned so much from them and I will continue to fight until they, um, their siblings can have access to high quality education. That's incredible. Awesome. And best of luck with, uh, with that. And I'm sure it's going to be um, everything you you seek out to do because clearly everything you've wanted to do so far you've achieved so I don't see it Thanks, any different Therma. here and uh, in your intro you also mentioned you're a professional <laughs> athlete like a professional power well, well, where did I, that come from and just because oh, you haven't achieved enough you're here breaking records you get to see me in my least athletic element which is the game of kickball <laughs> And I, so I find it uh, challenging to call myself an athlete, but um, yeah, I got involved in powerlifting, which I had no idea what that was at all. Someone came up to me at the gym and was like, are you, do you compete in powerlifting? And I, I was like, so confused with what they were talking about. I honestly thought they were talking about like a piece of equipment that they needed. I was, I just was like at a loss and didn't know that it existed. So powerlifting is um, different from weightlifting. Sometimes people, um, yeah, interchange those, but powerlifting is co- uh, competing in squat, bench, and deadlift um, in a specific weight class, uh, and you you compete. And basically, it I like it because you're always trying to push your own personal strength. It's very an individualized sport. You're continuously trying to grow and improve as an athlete. And I got involved. Um, really, a lot of it had to do with like my frustration in being involved in a system um, that, like the school that I was in and, and not like, I didn't feel like enough was being done for students. So I was frustrated. And also um, like the, my, my father passed away during that time and I was the administrator of the estate. And there's a lot of random women trying to sue me. <laughs> so 
I was I was in a spot um, where I was like, I have a lot of frustration, a lot of anger. What can I do? And after um, this girl approached me at the gym, I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll try it out. So I did my first competition, had no idea what I was doing, literally thought um, I, was, I was competing as a raw lifter. So uh, when I went to competition, I did my all my three lifts and I saw everyone else and they had all this gear on. So I'm like, oh my God, I won because I'm the only one that's a raw lifter because the other option is equipped. But uh, I didn't win. I actually lost miserably because um, I didn't realize you could wear some of that equipment as a raw lifter. So it's kind of oxymoronic, but you can wear, you know, wrist wraps, a belt, which really helps. A belt like adds 100 pounds onto your, maybe not 100, but 50 pounds onto your lifts and uh, knee sleeves. So now I wear all those things as a raw lifter. Um, But yeah, my first competition, I lost. Oh, I was bad. I was bad. I um, didn't realize how, how weak I really was. And then, um, from that point on, I just kept training, um, obsessively. Um, I would, I would just keep push, pushing myself. Um, and I used it as really great, um, visual for goal setting with my class. So I was like, all right, this is part of my lesson. So I have to, I have to continue doing it. So uh, it was great with students. Um, students were really engaged in it. I got to live stream some of my competitions for my class. I, uh, they were, you know, my biggest fan at that time, but, um, ended up being able to compete in nationals and the Arnold and, uh, yeah, and set some records and looking to still, uh, continue to grow. Incredible. So <laughs> I, I don't even think we can recap all your accomplishments, uh, but it just, it's awesome. Uh, with, with so much accomplishments under your belt, you know, what keeps you going? Like what, what keeps you driven? Like a lot of people, when they achieve something, uh, you know, they're satisfied. Like what keeps you going? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, really do believe in this concept of a growth mindset of just there's no limits to what you want to do and what you can learn and, and to your own personal growth and, and the growth of others. So, I mean, I, I really believe in staying inquisitive, staying engaged, being a lifelong learner. You hear that all the time, but I, I really try to live that. Um, I'm constantly just trying to push myself. I, I'm scared. I don't know. I guess my fear is my biggest fear is, is like being stagnant and and not being able to grow or use my body or my mind or, um, to, to learn something new. So for me, I just fight against it as hard as I can by doing, uh, as much of those, those actions that I can. (laughs) That's awesome, man. It clearly shows in everything you've accomplished. And uh, if you were to give me advice, uh, you've known me, I think we've become good friends at this point. Uh, what piece of advice would you give me? Imagine I'm one of your students going through uh, your class. Like what, what is something you want your students uh, to carry for the rest of their lives? The one, the one thing that we really um, emphasized was the Maya Angelou quote, um, when you know better, you do better. I would say when you know better, my classes say you do better. And, and that in essence is the continuous growth and development of, of you personally and with your relationships with others. 
um, never thinking something is fixed, never um, believing that you've reached, a, you know, um, a certain level. You can always, you can always grow more, learn more. Um, and for you, I mean, you are, oh, you always bring people together in some of the most beautiful and curious ways. And I love it. And I can't imagine, sometimes I think that must be really hard, <laughs> but um, you continuously do it and you don't know, um, you don't know what that means to people sometimes, even, um, even people who seem to be okay all the time. Um, your, your bright um, optimism and um, desire to bring people together and collaborate is just beautiful. And I would just say continue to do that and to, um, uh, to just be yourself. Appreciate it, Bree. And uh, I think I don't think that I have enough compliments to, uh, you know, highlight all the things you've accomplished and want to accomplish. Uh, but I could just say thanks for doing this. I really enjoyed it. And uh, stay safe during this coronavirus quarantine. And I can't wait to, uh, you know, uh, hang out again. Yeah, uh, I over. miss you so much. And also, I have a um, plethora of hand sanitizer. We were donating it. We've been donating it to different community centers, uh, different churches, different um, houses around the neighborhood. I have a lot of it. Buffsai bought 10,000 of them. So if you know of anyone um, that needs hand sanitizer or of any organizations that we can work with and donate, please let me know, Atherva. Will do. And I don't have many listeners on this podcast, but <laughs> for the five that are listening, if you know someone... Please reach out please as well. Do. All right. Stay safe. <laughs> Miss you. Bye. There's a quote by Bill Nye that says, everyone you'll ever meet knows something you don't. And today I learned another quote from Maya Angelou. When you know better, you do better. Thanks, Bree. Thanks, Bree.